Hello and welcome to Masala Zindabad, the podcast that ought to have been a book and part two of our talk with Greta from Mainsab's story. This is Amrita from IndieQuill. And I'm Beth from Beth Loves Bollywood. We're going to get back into our talk with Greta by wondering a little bit about how she sees character actors fitting into the film industry and the filmmaking process. What you've learned about how these people got work or were offered work or... Are there audition processes and how do they, how are they involved with the decision making about casting and making films and writing films? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't actually really know that much about how most people got started. I know that some of the older actors, like Durga Kote was the first female from a good family to actually star in in cinema. She was one of the, the pathbreakers for women getting into film and making it respectable. I think as far as other people getting into it, I have no idea. I think that sometimes it was people who just worked in the studio. Sometimes it was mm. people who were friends of somebody else. There's sometimes, you know, like you hear the stories about how Johnny Walker got discovered by somebody on a bus by Balraj Sani, I think. Before we started talking to you today, we were um, kind of discussing how you, you may hear a little bit about, at least currently or in recent decades, directors or producers going to a star's house to narrate a film to them to see if they want to do it. And we were trying to imagine, you know, like, is that what happens with Tron? Does somebody go to his house? Because you can see someone like him. Well, I would think I, he's kind of top tier of the kind of people we're yeah. talking about. So like, why is Ranjit in all those movies? Who did he know? Did people look to him because they thought he did a really good job? Was he just there? How is it that there are these people who have done so many hundreds of films, especially if they're not people who were heroes and then have aged into these smaller roles? Yeah. If they're people who, as younger people, had these kind of best friend, smuggler kind of roles, how did they do that? And how did they get, you know, how did they come to be involved with so many different films, often playing same type of person over and over again. Well, I imagine that they ended up getting typecast after they'd been in a couple of movies, especially if the films were successful. Right. I think that's what happened with Ranjit is that his first few movies were pretty successful and he was a villain in those. And so he just kind of continued that way. We've got an involuntary Ranjit theme in our podcast. So you know that I think that's how it should be. All is right hot. I don't think I've ever really thought about this question about how people get hired but I've always assumed that these were this was the time when movies were being made pretty much definitely in the 80s. This was the time when movies were being basically written on the floor as they yeah. were shooting. You hear all those stories about uh, people who are like writers sitting over there and like pounding out the dialogues right before <laughs> the shot is being taken. And I kind of always figured that these were people who had worked together before and then they just get a call and say like, you know, it's like being invited to a frat party. We have this really awesome movie and we're all shooting over there. You should totally show up and we'll find a part for you. And then they kind of like go up over there and they're like, hey, what do I got to do? And then, hey, Ranjit, kind of lounge in the corner. It's really amusing to think of people auditioning these kinds of roles because you know (laughs) growing up in the U.S. you hear there's that all those tropes about people going to Hollywood and being waiters while they struggle and getting cast on ridiculous soap operas and things like that or like Joey on Friends you know and I 
can't imagine it working the same way in Hindi cinema, or I've never heard about it happening that way, but maybe maybe it does. I have no idea. But Greta was telling me, I think last week when we were preparing for this, that one of the things that she likes about about learning about these people is that, Greta, I think you said something like, I myself am kind of a regular person who yeah. you know enjoys populating the background and things like that. Yeah. And I, I think of myself as like the best friend sidekick. So it's kind of fun to identify yeah. a like person and spot her getting to do that a bunch of times. That's just who I am. And I think a lot of these actors, that's who they were and they were perfectly happy with it. I'm sure some of them had ambitions on maybe having bigger roles or, but I think a lot of them were just happy to do what they knew they were supposed to do. They could just show up and do it and so who are your favorite people that you've discovered and gotten to know? And were there any life stories that really spoke to you when you were looking at them? One of the most enjoyable things that has happened to me over the past year is that I've gotten to know Ted Lyons. He was a musician, a background dancer, um, and he had his own band called Ted Lyons and His Cubs, which first came on my radar through John Pechanho from Gumnam, that crazy song that, that I love. And I always wanted to know who this, the guy lip syncing to Rafi's singing was and that was another like Nazir Kashmiri I was a hunt that went on for years and I you know the day I found out it was like I found the holy grail Ted's son actually found my blog post about Ted Lyons and his cubs because I started seeing the band in background. They were always just great songs. And so I wrote a post about him. Ted's son happened to stumble across it, showed it to his dad, and they got in touch with me. And and through Ted, I've discovered that not only he, but also two of his sisters were dancers. And one of them be- went on to become a choreographer for a while. One is named Marie Shind, and one is Edwina. Edwina was a background dancer, and you see her in everything. And she had small speaking parts, too, in several films that I've seen. She left in 1960. She got married. Well, she got married early on and she finally emigrated to England in the in the late 60s with her husband. So that sort of cut her career short. She told me that she was just beginning to get more noticed and, and mm. get, you know, bigger parts and more, you know, front and center dancing. But and she really has a great screen presence, too. And I and I love her. She's a hoot. And Ted is the sweetest man. Terrence. Lions. He also, he started in, he would go with his sisters to the sets and they were just looking for work on doing dancing or whatever. They came from musical backgrounds and danced and, and pretty soon there, there, there's a whole group of them. So Herman Benjamin, who is a choreographer, a pretty well-known, he's the, and he was the front man for uh, Ted Lyons in the John Pechanho song. Huh. I've seen Herman now in a bunch of dances. You know, he's there. Oscar, who was another uh, dancer I noticed early on backing up Helen a lot of the time. And he just has a great appearance about him, too. I just love Oscar. They were all really close friends. Can I just say that makes me so happy? Yeah, <laughs> it's just lovely. And they and they work together. They just went from set to set. Edwina and Terrence can't even remember all the films they were in. It's like they're, they're so pleased when I spot them in something and send them a link to the video. It makes their day. You know, they're just so excited. They're like, you know, we just did it. We didn't think about it as being. But they're both really nostalgic about it now. You know, like those were really fun times. And they had a great time. They were young and just didn't think that much about it. Terrence also is the person who started recruiting Ferengis for background scenes and nightclubs and stuff. He actually started up a company. He got in touch with all the embassies in town, the Australian embassy, the, the British embassy, the American embassy, started getting lists of tourists and he would bring them to the sets and keep them entertained during the day and between shots and just provide them. And he got paid by the producers to bring all these people there. And 
And it's like, what a career this man has had. And he, they know everybody. Shami called Edwina the girl with the ponytail because she had always had really long hair and wore it in a ponytail. And she said she used to go to Mala Sinha's house and teach her how to dance whenever they were in a film together because Mala didn't really like dancing and wasn't that good at it. So she would, Edwina would go over and, and do a little one-on-one tutoring with her. And it's just so much fun to hear this. And to me, it's just like, oh, I wish I had been one of those people. I can't dance to save my life. But in my next life, I, that's what I would want to do. I, they worked all the time. You know, they worked constantly because and they're in everything. I mean, you seriously cannot watch a Hindi movie without seeing someone connected with Ted and his family. His father-in-law was a band leader in the 40s and 50s. He had a band called Fats Benny and he's, you can see him, he he was a band leader and he's always up there. His brothers-in-law, so connected. I've really enjoyed getting to know them and hearing about their history and they tell me, you know, tidbits about the stars and... You've obviously had some great conversations with both readers and the subjects of the things that you write about. Mm -hmm. What are some of your other favorite sources for finding information about the kinds of actors that we're talking about? Film India magazines are hard to come by. I actually discovered that the Harvard Library has a whole bunch of them. They have a huge collection of Film India magazines at the Widener Library at Harvard. So all I need to do is find a Harvard ID and I'm in there. (laughs) Yeah, Film India is just a great reason. I mean, all those old magazines, Film Fair started being published in the 50s and I have some 60s Film Fairs. Shami's son got in touch with me after I posted some scans from the Gita Bali memorial issue that I had. He had never seen them and he contacted me and said, you know, I've never seen these pictures of my mother before. And there were pictures of him with her and his sister with her and really touching. And you just have to dig around and find old magazines, find there, there you know, there's some publications too online, like Screen India okay. has a lot of articles and interviews with older, with people from older cinema, which is just great. I mean, you just don't see it very much. And it's great when you do find it. I've got a huge library of biographies and autobiographies that I've just picked up in India. Hmm. It's hard to find them here, but yeah. whenever I'm in India, I, I spend half my time in a book in bookstores just looking for, you know, whatever biographies and autobiographies I can pick up. One of my very favorite books is the Sadat Hassan Manto book, Stars from Another Sky, which is incredibly gossipy and juicy. And it's just, it's sort of a never ending journey. I don't think that I can ever say that I'm ever going to find, I'm never going to find out enough. But it's nice because family members are reaching out, you know, like dust it off. Madhu at Dusted Off just had a week, a Johnny Walker week, and Johnny Walker's daughter and grandson wrote um, guest posts. Anand Bakshi's son Rakesh wrote a guest post about his dad for me. It's just, it's nice that the families are starting to sort of turn up and see that people are interested in in their their parents, their grandparents, their uncles, you know. You've talked about Nasir Kashmiri and Hercules and how difficult it was to track them down. But apart from them, who have I mean, who's it been? Who are the people that were really hard to track down? Well, Herman Benjamin, too. I just needed to know who the singer in John Pechan was. I looked for him for years. And when I found that out, it was a trivia question. I posted it as a trivia question. Right. You know, do you know who the lead singer is? And then I went to bed and I got all these comments in the middle of the night. People saying, please tell us, please tell us. One guy wrote like three comments. You know, he, was, <laughs> he was like, you must tell me, I must know, you know. And then two minutes later, please don't make me wait any longer. And then like three minutes later, 
later. This is the kind of thing that will kill you if you keep it to yourself. <laughs> there's still, I mean, if you go and look at my project page, there's still a bunch on there that I don't know who they are and I really, really want to. Of the ones that you're currently looking for, who most satisfying to find out about right now? This little guy who I think might be Bismillah, I think he might be really fun to find out because I see he's in like every Wadia movie tones film ever made. He's in a lot of those Arabian Nights films and that sort of thing. Sombrero Man, I don't know what else to call him. And I've never seen him in anything except a prop, but I just love him. I'm just so in love with him. I would need to know who Sombrero Man is. I just deep in my heart need to know that. Where are you, Sombrero Man? And you know, the new ones pop up all the time. I just keep finding more and more names and faces and trying to put them together. So the gallery keeps growing too. I mean, I, I updated the pages like once a month. I'm always adding screen caps to them. And I have people sending screen caps, which is great. I love that you've become kind of a central repository for this kind of stuff. <laughs> Because like if you weren't yeah. doing it, somebody would have to be doing it. Maybe yeah. it was one of us. I'm yep. really glad that it exists because it is just so handy and it's so <laughs> satisfying for whatever reason. So Greta, tell us a little bit about what the people you've met and your friends in the Indian film industry think about this kind of sub-interest of yours. And do you get lots of people saying, wow, you know way more about this than anyone else I know, and you're not even Indian? Do you get that kind of comment a lot? The most interesting conversation that I've had on this subject, I spent one whole evening with Bowman and Ronnie before I was on Bollywood Kabas. We went out for dinner. He's also an old film buff, and he loves trivia. Bollywood Kabas was a film trivia quiz show, which... It's sad it didn't take off because, and it's also sad it wasn't in English because I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But we went out for dinner and he was like peppering me with questions and so surprised <laughs> that I could answer most of them. And we just had a great time. And then I met Amir Khan on the sets of Three Idiots and Raju told him, Greta knows a lot about Indian cinema and I could see Amir kind of sizing me up. So then he started peppering me with trivia questions and the one that I got him on was... He asked me if I knew what Raj Kosla's first film as director had been. And I couldn't remember the name of it, but I had just seen it. Finally, Amir said, I said, oh, it'll come to me. But I, I just saw it like two weeks before I met him. He said, well, it's CID. And I said, oh, no, it isn't. It's not CID. And he said, yeah, CID was Raj Kosla's first film. I said, no, you're wrong. <laughs> I don't remember what it is, but I know it's not CID. So I made someone go out and find a computer and look it up. And it was it, a film called Malap, which I had just reviewed on my <laughs> My blog like literally two weeks before so I told Amir that I said no it's it's Malab and I told him the story I told him who was in it I told him all about the film and he just kind of stared at me like oh then he asked me if I'd seen Gajni and I said no it's not really my kind of film <laughs> and Raju was like horrified you know he was like you can't say that to Amir Khan so he, he butts in he's like um Dara Singh is Greta's kind of movie and Amir's like oh so I think Amir was kind of like who is this strange woman I'm glad she's a foreigner <laughs> I hope I never see her again and then he very kindly offered to set me up with a meeting with Shami. So that was the best because Raju very kindly also said, and besides Dara Singh, she really loves Shami. So he was like, oh, Shami. Finally, he was like, something I can relate to her about. That was appropriate, Pennant. <laughs> anyway, so I've had some fun, yes. What are your favorite reactions from readers when you write about these actors? I love it when somebody says, oh my God, I've been looking, I've been wondering who that person was for like 20 years. I love that. You know, when somebody else says, I've been wondering who that was, I had no idea. I love it when they pitch in and tell me, I mean, been able to identify so many people because my readers really love old movies and know a lot more than I ever will about them. And so they share that knowledge with me on a daily basis. And I'm so grateful. I found out so much stuff and they leave links for me to interviews 
blogs or things like that. And I, that is really the greatest source of knowledge that I have is the people who read my blog. But I like it when I can help them out too with someone they've been wondering about. And the other thing I love is when I write about a movie that somebody saw 20 years ago and like vaguely remembered, but hadn't been able to remember what it was or hadn't seen it since then. Or And they say, oh, you've just brought back so many memories. So that's kind of nice too. I'm a little jealous because I don't have those memories, but. I really wonder if there are kind of parallel discussions going on about classic Hollywood, classic British films, classic, you know, whatever else. And I'm assuming there are, I'm just not into those, so I don't know. But I interesting, I think, to wonder if there's anything particular about Bollywood fan culture or fan and film culture, whatever, that kind of fosters some of these kind of conversations. Because I do have a hard time imagining Cary Grant's kids getting excited about someone blogging about him but of course he's super 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 famous and well known so I'm trying to think of a good that's not a good equivalent but I can't think of any because I don't know the Hollywood that guy's names but you know their grandkids but maybe they do and I just I'm not into that I think it's the same in Hollywood is that you know there are people who are interested in that guy Mike Barnum who writes Pedro the Ape Bomb he interviews a lot of these you know old character actors and actresses and people who have virtually been forgotten who even had starring roles in early films He, he covers that and he writes for a magazine that about that. I think there's, I think if I were more interested in that, it would be probably easier to find out more information about those people than it is to find out about Indian cinema. And we would just have, since we're in the States, would have pretty good access to things like old newspapers that ran the interviews and old magazines and things like that. I think that stuff has been preserved a little better, not just at the film archives in Pune, where they have it all under lock and key and don't want anybody else to, you know, sully it by looking at it, which is what I've been told is that, you know, if you try to get stuff out of them, they're like, no, no, no. As a, yeah. as an information professional, I have to say that's not really how that should work. And I've heard this, I, I've i been told this by a woman who is Indian and a researcher and a film, she teaches film studies and she said it's incredibly difficult to get them to open up their archives and share, which is really why. just sad. I can't make a judgment. It could be just that it's the material that they have is so fragile that people just really can't be handling it. I well, don't that's know. That's why you digitize it and put it up online and no one has to buy you. That is what would I would think would be ideal, but I didn't. It's really terrible when you're looking at movies made before the 1950s. You have to be really committed to watching those movies because they're just yeah. so badly preserved. Forget about the research stuff on it, but just the film itself. Just making out what's going on on the screen. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, What's happening? I can't see anything. I was trying to watch Sandil yeah. the other day, the Jane Eyre. I was just sitting there thinking, I, I can't, I can't make out half the things that are going on in it. We could do a whole podcast about, you know, the sad state of Indians films themselves. I mean, Guru Dutt, I have never seen a Guru Dutt film yet that I could make out every detail in. His films are, to begin with, they were so dark and contrasty, and they just haven't survived very well. You know, they really deserve to be restored lovingly, put some money in it, put them on a good quality DVD with good subtitles and send them out there. And I get so mad about the whole, um, the, the colorization process, because why would you do that when all you needed to do was like just restore the original black and white and some decent subtitles and you know do what the Criterion Collection does for old movies that makes so much more sense to me rather than you do know that that's a bee in my bonnet that I I ran quite a bit about that on my blog about um, the Indian DVD company 
companies and yeah and it, it is justified and i don't feel at all apologetic about it it's like screw you indian dvt manufacturers i hate you and your logos and your you know and your cropping and your muddy picture and i hate you i hate you i hate you i just feel hopeful i hear more about it in general i hear people talking more about it so i hope somebody somewhere who has more money than I do does something about it one day. These films are just disappearing. All the silent films that were made, you know, they're all gone. There's only fragments of like 15 of them left. There's hardly there's hardly any full on silent film made in India left. I keep hoping that maybe something like the British Film Archives or even in yeah. Hollywood, they have these film reels lying in a dusty vault somewhere that everybody's forgotten. About. Oh, that Indian film. And, you know, we're going to find Raja Harish Chandra or something fairly decent condition and can do something with it someday. But. It can happen to Metropolis. That can happen to uh, well, exactly. I mean, I because I do think that there was a lot of there was a lot of sharing in the early days of cinema between India and Germany and, and England, especially, and some with Hollywood. You know, Mahbub Khan sent some of his films over to, to Cecil B. DeMille, so mm. they're probably still lying there in a vault somewhere, and they might be in better shape than the ones that are floating around in India. Who knows? Although, from what I've talked to, you know, having taken classes in conservation for museum and library stuff, it's interesting to hear people talk about the American film history situation, and it, too, I mean, I think yeah, it's, it's pretty better sad than too. any, but it's also pretty sad. Yeah. Yeah. And that especially bothers me, because these are people with money! These are not like documentary filmmakers. These are not universities or schools. Yeah. This is Hollywood. It has Boku bucks. Save your stuff. Like as a proportion of your, you know, revenue and everything, they are so well poised to take care of what they have produced over the years and they don't really seem to do it yeah. on the scale that they are a would be able to if they just chose to. What a downer. Let's not end on a downer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just reading over, over some of the research that you had done and the numbers alone for some of these people, you wrote that Madan Puri is credited on IMDb as having been in 282 movies over four decades. And that's not even a complete list. No, I'm sure it isn't. Yeah. I've seen him in movies that aren't on IMDb. So, and then yeah. Iftikhar is in 248 films over almost 60 years. The Indian film industry, everybody talks about how prolific it is, and it is, has been for years. And, you know, there got to be people in it. And I don't think their number of people working as actors and actresses is probably, I don't know this for sure, but it seems to me it probably is a smaller pool of people just went from movie set to movie set. And it's just astonishing the amount of work they did. I mean, look at the playback singers. You know, those numbers are mind blowing. This is the end of part two of our conversation with Greta from Memsab's story about her interesting character actors and the people who tend to, to fill out the films and give them more color and texture. I'm hoping some of our listeners and readers will leave some comments either at Greta's site or on the Masala Zindabad blog about some of their favorite small part actors that they always enjoy seeing and some of the interesting things they found out about them just to make all of this texture even better. Thanks, Greta, for joining us today. And we know we'll be talking with you a lot more over the course of Masala Zindabad podcast. Thank you guys. <laughs>